My name's Bonnie Shaw, and I'm going to be your moderator today. Uh, and we're all on the line for a conference call about storytelling for community planning. We all tell stories about ourselves, our histories, and our places, but how often do those stories play a role in deciding your community's future? This call today is going to focus on how communities across the country can use stories to identify resident values, strengthen relationships, and shape community planning decisions. We're lucky to be joined by Barbara Ganley, Director of Community Expression, and Betsy Rosenbluth, Director of Projects for the Orton Family Foundation. And before we get started, I just have a little housekeeping. Um, so uh, we, we run these calls with great thanks to the folks from the Orton Family Foundation. We're now in our second year of connecting communities with these conference calls. And this year we're going to be trying a few new things. So if you've, if you've been on these before, um, stick around to the end of the call and we're going to let you know about some of the new things we'll be trying that you guys can get involved with. Today, we actually have a, a really large number of people on the call, which is fantastic. Uh, but what we ask you to do is to put yourself on mute to block out the background noise. Um, then as we go through the call, you can access the Google Doc that we've made available where everyone can take notes collaboratively and ask questions. And so when you write a question in, we ask that you type your name along with the question, and then I'll be able to call your name, and you can unmute yourself and jump into the conversation. So just a, a quick note as well for everyone to, to remember, this call is, is being recorded, and we turn these calls into a podcast that we make available through the Community Matters blog. So just a reminder again, we've got a lot of people on the call, so if you could put yourselves on mute, um, and you can do that by pressing hash six. Uh, and let me repeat that. You can put yourself on mute by pressing star six, and then hash six to come off mute. So star six now, if I call your name, hash six. So... I'm going to get ready to hand over to our speakers. They're going to introduce themselves, and then we'll open up for discussion. We'll finish up with some key actions that you can take next and some interesting ideas that we're going to be testing out in the next couple of months. So with that, it gives me great pleasure to hand over to Barbara Ganley. Hi, everybody. I'm delighted to be here with you, and I'm eager to hear about your experiences and questions concerning storytelling and community work. But first, by way of introduction, I want to share a story with you. On a plane to Montana, where I was to teach a storytelling workshop for community foundations this fall, I was seated next to a college student, Shelby. In that little exchange, as we buckled our seatbelts, I learned she was from Montana and going home for vacation from study abroad. What luck! Here I was, headed to a place I didn't know well, and right next to me was a local expert. And so instead of burying myself in my book on Montana, I turned to her and asked, Study abroad? Where? North Carolina, she said. When I shared that anecdote the next day with the 75 people gathered for the workshop, many looking mighty skeptical about storytelling, they roared, smiled at each other, and murmured, indeed, that would be abroad. It was a moment of cultural bonding, of sharing a common context, of belonging. They recognized Shelby. They recognized themselves. They connected through her story. And they began to connect with me, a newcomer, all in that moment. Sharing a story authentically and respectfully draws listeners close to us and allows trust to grow between us. And, and together for our communities, we have to listen to each other. We have to trust each other. But the story didn't end there. I asked Selby if she was looking forward to going back to Montana. She lit up and said, Oh, yes, I love my hometown. What do you love about it, I asked. Our ranch and the people, everyone is so close. We have a movie theater that sells hot pizza. I asked her if she would share a story to illustrate what the place meant to her. She thought, I told her Early spring cast branding. Painted a verbal picture of the community cooking, herding, branding, and the strapping high school lads wrestling the calves. Ranch people or not, everyone showed up and ate together, laughed, and swapped news. 
Through that one story, Shelby taught me much, holistically and memorably, about her town. She values and her own perspective, potential divides and tensions, as well as assets and capacity that might go unnoticed as such. She was a bundle of local knowledge. And teaching me through story made the details stick. I will never forget the images of those boys let off from school, or of the women cooking together in ranch kitchens. In asking each other stories of what works and how in our communities, the challenges that helps us, we build the foundation for working together on tough issues. We are heard. All of our points of view, knowledge, our experience matter. And as we share local expertise and information, we build community intelligence and trust and energy and vision. But that's not the end of Selby's story. The shadow crossed her face, as she added, but it's changing so fast. Even in the time I've been in college, things have changed. The boys no longer want to help out. Kids aren't as connected to this place. They're heading to the cities, and even out of state, they're leaving. She shook her head. Do you want to return home after college, I asked? Oh, yes, but I won't be able to. I'm training to be a school teacher, but I'll have to go to a bigger place. No jobs at home. You change things. Make the future brighter in your town. Wow, no one has ever asked me that. Well, we need more job opportunities, sure, she said. But we also need to feel that our town is special, as special as anywhere else. Instead of everyone on phones and computers, we could do things together and talk about what we want to save, like our movie theater or our ranching life. Shelby's story contains seeds of important information for future planning. She dared imagine a different future, and even in that plane ride, was plotting possibilities. But no one in her own community had ever asked for her story. Imagine what might happen in that community if the youth gathered with their elders share and collect and discuss stories about what they celebrate about the community, past and present, and what they envision and need for the future. What if change projects started in story? It's pretty simple. Your community can conduct story interviews such as I did on a plane, formally or informally around town, the library, that movie theater, home, and then share those stories widely. They can hold story circles around a kitchen table or woven into existing community events or during monthly story cafes that move from neighborhood to neighborhood centered on topics folks have proposed. The stories can be collected and honored through publication in a book or newspaper, online, on the air, in a video or a theater production. They can then serve as the catalyst for dialogue and discussion and planning. The stories studied for the information they contain, assets and values, resources and perspectives, possibilities and challenges. And they can be embedded in the townscape through murals or kiosks or mobile phone tours. The stories can literally occupy the heart of the town. So who connect us to one another? Stories reveal deep truths and essential information. Stories stick. The great news is that we're all storytellers. We're all Shelby. And so with some good project <laughs> quite natural to launch in any community with powerful, enduring effects. And that skeptical workshop group? Well, here's what one participant writes. I must admit that when I saw the chunk of time for storytelling on the agenda, I thought the time could be spent in a better fashion, but I was wrong. I learned so much, and now our community foundation has the success story as a direct result. Last week, I received a last-minute call to be at an old-timers and pensioners meeting because the group was disbanding and wanted some place to spend their $35,000. I was faced with a group of retired miners who didn't understand that as a 501c3, they could not divide the money amongst themselves. After the legal issue was resolved, discussion began as to where the money should go. Some wanted to send it to a charity out of town. So, I told them a story. I told them about my dad working on the hill for years, how he loved this community and wanted to give something back, how he would have enjoyed being in their boots and have the opportunity to give. Anyway, the storytelling worked its magic, 
and the entire amount was given to the Community Foundation. There you have it, the power of even one single story. Betsy? Thanks, Barbara. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit... uh, It's hard to follow such a beautiful story. Thank you. I'm going to talk a little bit uh, more about applying storytelling and community planning and talk about some of our experience in our demonstration projects. We at the Foundation just completed our first round of Heart and Soul Community Planning demonstration projects in the Rockland, New England, where storytelling was tested as a method for us for generating greater participation in the projects and for identifying shared community values, which can then drive the planning and decision-making process. So first, we found storytelling truly supporting community engagement. It drew more voices into the process, creating connections and building empathy and bridging some of the divides. It also overcame some of the preconceived notions of what a planning process will be by starting out from a very different place and with people's own words. And so in Damascata, Maine, in the mid-coast, they took uh, more of a do-it-yourself approach to storytelling as part of their um, community planning project. And they had volunteers gather resident stories through neighbor-to-neighbor interviews using a voice recorder and a camera. In the past in Damascata, a proposed Walmart development really divided the town. But in the interviewing process, the volunteers made sure to hear perspectives from the other side and to bring people together to sit down and build new connections. They also set up a booth at the local library to record people's stories. And from all these stories, they edited a video piece that would then seed a series of community conversations. And they used story circles in those community conversation events to further share personal stories, but then as a group to identify some of the common themes that they could use through their planning process. In all, about 80 stories contributed to identifying six core values for Damerscada, which then framed their vision for the future and that they used to organize a design charrette as they planned for the commercial areas of the town. It's a very shortened version of Damerscada, but I know in questions we'll get into more detail. In Biddeford, Maine, a once thriving mill town, they saw the value of story also in building community pride and helping with downtown revitalization. In Biddeford, they used fellows from the Salt Institute for Documentary Studies in Portland, Maine, and the fellows gathered digital stories throughout the community, going to the diner, the boxing ring, the cigar shop, the beach community, all over town which they then shared those stories back to the community in very celebratory events. Biddeford High School, in the same time, through a fantastic teacher who was already teaching digital storytelling in the English department, started having the students interview their grandparents and parents about downtown. This created a much stronger link between the school and the community, but more than anything, it really changed how the students thought about downtown, thought about its potential, what it once was, and how they could get involved in building what it could be. The students also used their stories to host a World Cafe-style dialogue in the high school with other students. And just a note that all of these activities in Bitterford High School are being documented on a website that we'll make available later this winter. The project committee in Bitterford um, used the stories to identify five core value statements and launched a series of neighborhood meetings, I think there are about 34 in all, to both validate those values, go back to the community to confirm them, and to identify the key downtown issues that were detracting from those values. And eventually, a downtown master plan was adopted and action teams formed to carry out those strategies. The second point I want to make is that the stories have been successful, truly successful at identifying those shared values. Um, It's not always easy to move from the beauty of the story and the personal narrative to um, a much more quantitative process of distilling the values and, and using those values sometimes to um, 
way, different scenarios for the future, different parts of the planning process. In Golden, Colorado, after they gathered about 360 personal stories in a range of different ways, they hosted community listening sessions, and they involved the community in distilling the stories into core values and guiding principles. They then rewrote their comprehensive plan around these values and are using them as a framework for decision-making and things like capital investment priorities. The third point I wanted to make is to let the stories manifest themselves in the community. Sometimes it can be as simple as sharing stories at events or in publications like the annual report, or it can be in the physical environment through public art or story walks or other ways. In Starksboro, Vermont, we, they completed an art and soul project by developing a series of safe community walking paths. And for one of those trails, they commissioned local artists to install public art along the path that continues to weave that thread that began with story and continued through community art making to celebrate the values of Starksboro. In Biddeford, they launched a Heart Spots project where folks downtown could dial into a phone number and leave a story at key locations. So I'm going to be very brief because I'm interested in your questions, but I'll close by leaving just a few tips that we've learned for using personal story in a community planning process. The first was to really know your goals and capacity so that you can choose an appropriate approach. There are so many ways. Um, to gather story, to listen to story, and to build a project, weave it within a community planning project. Some of those are written, some are audio stories, some are gathered by students, um, some are really meant for, <laughs> some are meant to achieve different goals, and so it's really important to be clear as you plan things out. The second is to build on your local resources, and you can see through just these brief examples, whether it's your schools and colleges, historic preservation committees, or local food groups, you'll be surprised how many have resources to contribute to the project. The third is to know ahead how the stories will weave into your larger project and what stories you want to gather. To prepare your questions for what you want to know, and yet to let the story unfold. You don't need to lead your storyteller somewhere, but you definitely want to know what you, how you'll use it and what you're looking for. And the last is always a reminder to practice objective listening. So, Bonnie, I think that's Okay. Fantastic. Through. Thanks, Betsy. So that was an amazing overview from both Barbara and Betsy. Um, what I, I, I just asked to, um, for everyone, if you've joined recently, if you wouldn't mind just making sure that you're on mute so that we can um, cut out some of that background noise. And uh, I can see that a bunch of people are getting into the questions now. So if you do have questions for Barbara or Betsy or have sh stories that you'd like to share, about your experiences, um, please go up to the top of the Google Doc there and type them in under the questions and discussion section. Please add your name so that we can call out and um, and get you to join in the conversation. Um, I know that some people are having trouble accessing the Google Doc, and I'm really sorry about that. Um, I, I think it's because we have so many people um, accessing it at the moment. Um, but uh, if you would like to send your questions in, you can email them to Rebecca, and her email is rstone, the letter R, S-T-O-N-E, at orton, O-R-T-O-N, dot org, and we'll put that email address in the document so that you can see that as well. Um, now, Barbara, I, I think you had a, an exercise that you wanted to run through with people. Sure, just a, just a brief exercise. Um, I'd be really interested in seeing... Having having you all spend just a minute or two after hearing Betsy and me talk about storytelling from our experience and perspective, and just brainstorm off the top of your head, what would be two or three potential story projects that you could 
envision or you would dream of. You know, you, we're not talking about the training, all the necessary um, preparation for this project, but just let your imagination go for a minute and think about your community and the goals you have and the work that you have with your community and why you're here today in this telephone call and just brainstorm a couple of ideas that you have for um, for storytelling. What what could be a couple of projects that, you know, I mean, you have no idea if these will work, but just wing it. Just just put them down, and, and uh, hopefully there's a place on the Google Doc um, where we can, you can jot those down or just jot them on a piece of paper, and then Bonnie will call on you to um, give us some response. So just take a minute to do that right now. <laughs> if you want to put those uh, answers up the top of the page right under the questions and discussion area, um, that's going to be the best way for us to be able to see them. And if you can add your name to them, then we can call out and you can uh, you can join the conversation there. And I just uh, add a little reminder, uh, if you have joined the call recently, please check that you are on mute so we can cut out some of the background noise. Thanks. Okay, I think I think that might even be long enough for people to have just dreamed of a couple. Hello. One of the one of the reasons I like to do this kind of exercise is because we usually start from thinking everything is so difficult to do and to achieve. And we we start from saying, oh, there's this overwhelming amount of knowledge and information and training that we have to go through in order to make anything happen in our communities. And sometimes the very best place to start is from a very creative place and just brainstorm and to just let yourself go with, with interesting and fun ways that you might engage with your community. It doesn't mean you're going to act on these. It means that you're just letting yourself think about some Great places. So it, it would be great to hear some of these before we get into the questions, Bonnie. So I don't know how how you might get. Sure, that. sure thing. I can see some great responses. Hannah, uh, do you want to pull yourself off mute and share some of the responses that you've added here? Sure. Um, I, I live in Charlottesville, Virginia, and um, we've had a community dialogue on race, uh, sort of local event or process that's been going on for several years now. And uh, not long ago, the, the city council uh, began talking about having a commission um, that would get a small amount of local taxpayer dollars to support that kind of, you know, ongoing dialogue. And I was surprised when there was, you know, pushback from local residents about that and questioning whether it was needed, um, just because I sort of thought people knew that it was needed. <laughs> And I was surprised that at the number of people who felt that it wasn't. And so I we've used storytelling in the past in this community um, a number of years ago to help surface some of the issues that I think led to the beginning of this dialogue. And I, I think it might be useful to hear some stories, perhaps from the people who think it isn't an issue, and, and sort of get into why that is, um, and just sort of raise raise some consciousness or just some awareness of the perspectives people have um, that um, that sort of you not wouldn't necessarily expect. Great, thank you. Barbara, do you want to respond to people individually or should we call on a few more people? Let's just call on a few more people and then we can, because we want to get as many people to be able to participate as possible. All righty. Heidi, I, I can see your comments in there. Do you want to join in? Heidi Holtz from Syracuse, New York. Can you hear me now? This is Heidi. We can hear you. Go ahead. Um, we're a refugee resettlement community, and um, we've been having some, as the downturn happened, we've been having some issues with a lot of storylines about 
uh, refugees are sucking up services and things of that nature, and we're, we're looking into studying the situation to do an actual scan, but as part of it, we'd really like to start to, to get the stories of both our recent refugees and the refugees that have come within the past 10 or 20 years, and even to go further from that and actually start to get our community to talk about their own stories of how they came to Syracuse, whether they are refugees or children of immigrants or just moved here so that everyone can begin to see that it's a uh, something of a commonality. And we're, But we're just in the early stages of kicking this around as an idea. We don't even know if we can pull this off. All right, fantastic. I'm going to jump straight to Dave Murphy. Dave, do you want to tell your story? Uh, yeah, um, I come from a very small town. And, again, this is Steve Murphy, a little town called Bernathan, Pennsylvania. And we have a long history of strong connections. We are a church-based town. We're a school-based town. And we have a lot of strong families. And when I was a kid, there were a lot of stories, you know, like almost semi-mythic figures in the different families. And um, those, those connections have frayed. And they've frayed for a lot of reasons, but most of them have nothing to do with the town. They have to do with the change in culture. In order to get a handle on this, uh, the powers that be have, adu- have been using the appreciative inquiry process, which involves talking to people about what works best in your town, what they like the most, and focusing only on the positive. Uh, I was, I myself find it somewhat cold and distant. I have corporate background and this sounds to me like the type of thing my VPs would love because it would keep information at arm's length. I was wondering if anybody had experience with the appreciative inquiry process and had seen it working in a really productive way. Great. Thanks for the question. Um, Barbara, do you, do you and Betsy want to start to respond to some of these? Um, and we'll give a few more people some time to write in to sure. the doc. Sure, that sounds great. I'd love to just jump in and go back to Hannah, who um, started us off by talking about in Charlottesville, starting off having done some storytelling um, back um, uh, some years ago, and then things are starting to change and shift again and saying, well, maybe we need to go back in and do some more stories. And I think that's just a fantastic thing to have her say because often we see you know I've seen a lot of projects where where they start with storytelling and then they move and they move to action and they think that stories have nothing to do with action necessarily but stories are the springboard to action and the the these processes are not linear they're more they spiral they're circular so you may come back to stories many times in a in a process in a change project that you're engaged in and so being able to come back in the middle and say whoa we need to do some more stories here, or we haven't gotten all the stories we need, and we need to hear from some other folks. And actually, the issue's changing. That what we thought we needed to do isn't what we need to do apparently at all because of what we're hearing from everybody using various processes, including storytelling. And so going back in and doing more storytelling, Hannah, I think that's a great and a wonderful thing to do. And it doesn't mean you're repeating your efforts. It means you're doing something new. Betsy? Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to comment, and Heidi, I th- or I think it was you who had a question earlier on um, about working with the refugee community in Syracuse. And um, there are a couple of projects I can't remember exactly where, but there's there are lots of examples of training folks with you know a simple voice recorder and a camera to do their own story. So providing the equipment, providing the training, and let them tell their stories. And whether they interview other people within uh, the community they move within or or simply their own story. Um, and then I think those partnerships are really important in terms of how those stories are then shared and how do you create both a safe and maybe a productive environment for dialogue in in listening to those stories. Um, There's another project, and maybe, Barbara, you know more about the level of success where, and I think it was more with some of the older members of some of the different communities. They paired them with mentors who were writers, and the two of them together um, did a written story, um, their story from where they were 
where they were and how they came to the community in Burlington, Vermont. Um, and then those stories were published and available, and they did it through this mentor project. So those were a couple of examples. Um, and, you know, I would just emphasize in all the projects we've done, story really serves as this seed for then a series of community conversations either in specific topics or with some of the themes that, that come from those stories where you can dive more deeply and really um, get at a broader dialogue in the community about some of these issues. And, and to get to Dave's um, question about appreciative inquiry, um, I've done a little bit with it, not so much because I, I really, um, my, my heart and soul lives in storytelling. Um, and I think what I can say is about storytelling that there is nothing cold and distant ever about storytelling because once you look across a table or, 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 or you're leaning on the, the post office wall and you're looking at somebody and asking them to share a story with you about um, something that matters to that person, then you're going to get a level of detail and a level of 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 a quality, even the voice and the body language and and every way that that person is telling the story reaches across that space between you and touches you. Storytelling is transformative. You cannot remain unchanged if you're hearing someone's story authentically. If you're listening to that story, so that's it's not about you know having a survey and questions that people can check off or, or answering just a set um, set number of questions. It's responding to the moment of that story as well as to your own goals. You have, you're much more responsive. It's much more advanced than anything else because, you know, you can think you've got the choreography, but the way you move through those steps together, it's probably, it's not like anything you've ever done with anybody or anywhere. That's a beautiful analogy. It's like a dance. Um, speaking to the personal nature of storytelling, Phil um, from Phil Stafford from Bloomington. Do you want to share your story? Can you hear me? We can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, my my question had to do with the um, the way we can avoid um, a lapse into nostalgia that that I sometimes see when we when we do community storytelling projects, and we were gathering stories about our local town square a number of years ago in a, a folklore project and and um, in doing a uh, story circle about the town square the African American participants were relatively quiet and and um, we all came to the realization that the town square was not a significant part of their experience because it was a place for white people and not black people with the exception of some stories about having to sit in the balcony, you know, at the, at the downtown movie house. And um, um, for the people in the story circle, it was um, um, a, a revelation and, and um, helped us realize we need, to, um, we need to search for our authentic past in our communities, which sometimes has a darker side to it. Um, and um, what I'm interested in is how we can use those stories as well to uh, in, inform the work we do in planning for um, futures. Well, um, Phil, thanks. That's a that's a really wonderful story and and, and a valuable one for us to hear because um, I'm very concerned about nostalgia too in in storytelling. That we have to honor and celebrate the past, but we don't want to be captured by it. It, and, and that renders us inert. We cannot release ourselves from the shackles of nostalgia or, conversely, of the grudges that we bring from the, the past. So one of the most important things I, I, I try to do in convening story, any kind of story project is to make sure that everyone is aware that every story is the story that should be told. We're not in search of just the good stories or the bad stories. We're in search of the authentic stories about whatever our topic is. And because, and we always frame it in because we're trying to see what we need to do next. We're trying to see what needs to happen in the future. So it's not about us 
merely ever looking at the past or the present. It's always with eyes to the future. So if you have eyes to the future, you've got to look at what, what didn't work as well as what did work. And you have to let people you know, tell their stories. Um, and sometimes in some communities, you actually have to say that. You actually have to say, okay, we're all, we're all telling all the great things and we want to do that, but we also have to tell the things that don't work quite so well. And sometimes you actually have to convene some storytelling around that, but you do have to have master facilitators for something like that so it doesn't devolve into, um, you know, something very difficult and challenging and hurtful within that community. Uh-huh. Yeah, there was, there was an interesting moment in Starksboro where they had a um, a story-sharing event, and they were talking to people, and it's a very simple question, you know, why you came here, what brought you to town? And a lot of newcomers would share the story of this incredible sense of community that brought them to Starksboro. And a lot of the old-timers would say, were lamenting the loss of community that they once had. And so the, that example for me just shows that, Nobody ever sat down together to talk about these things. People traveled in their separate circles. And so, you know, there was value in the stories that came out, but there was much more value that night in the fact that people were listening to each other and then the dialogue that happened from there was really important. So sometimes noting those gaps are really important. The other point I just want to make, there's a couple of questions on the Google Doc um, um, some of the more emotional or some of the more difficult things that come up in storytelling. And um, there's always this balance we're looking for. There have been opportunities in the project for youth to cut through some of the assumptions and grudges, as Barbara mentioned, from the past and really get to the core of what the story of the future is and the the nuggets of what the questions, um, the questions that are being discussed in the town. And, you know, you don't, I want to take to heart, you really need a master facilitator in the emotional and difficult conversations. But there are some opportunities where we have found young people are able to, to navigate with these fresh eyes and for people to really hear youth in telling their stories or in interviewing others that has let go of some of some of the pieces that were slowing uh, those authentic stories from really coming out. And so I, I know some of you have other stories of that. I, again, it's sort of a delicate balance between not bringing young people in the middle of a very heated discussion, but also allowing those sort of fresh pair of eyes um, to participate in the project and to, you know, elicit some of the stories from the rest of the community and share with the rest of the community. An interesting question that, that relates to that came in from uh, a woman on the call. Kate Gray, I don't know if you're still on the line. I know you said you had to, to leave, but her question was, how do we protect people whose stories may be dangerous to tell? Um, can Can you guys elaborate on that a little? Uh, that's that's a great question and an important question, and I and I think it's, you know I'm I'm slow to find words here because it depends upon the context of of why why you're asking for these stories and what you imagine you're going to be able to use them for. If you're if you if these stories that are not safe to tell. Um, can't be published in, public, pub, uh, in any way, then that's fine because you, you don't have to publish all the stories. You don't have to share all the stories. If the people want to tell their stories and so that that information can be used, then it's quite easy to protect them with a, and, and you make sure that it's in a safe place, that that person feels comfortable and respected in the storytelling. It might be in a group. Sometimes you have to, you know, I've been in situations where it's really um, very helpful to have an entire family sitting down to tell a story if it's a story that doesn't feel safe to tell, um, to have um, people who 
who you can you, you feel safe with in that in that room as well. So it's important that the environment feels safe to tell a story. That the story that there's reassurance um, that this story will never be shared if it can't be shared. There are ways to make this story anonymous. Um, that the nuggets of the story, if that person wants those out in the world, can be shared. But it never you know you can protect the identity of the of the teller. Um, but if someone who has a story that's dangerous to tell wants to tell the story, then it's, it's up to you to help that person feel as safe as possible in the telling. And then you reassure them. And this is where you have to do your planning well. How are you archiving these stories? How are you broadcasting these stories? Are you broadcasting these stories and where? And to whom? And why? That's a, a great insight there. Um, I, I have a couple of questions that have come in from people over email. Um, is Lynn Lawler still on the line? Do you want to talk to talk about the the stories that you had to share? Yes. Can you hear me? We can hear you just fine. Go Very ahead. good. Thank you. Um, I was for many years uh, a theater producer whose work was completely, almost completely based on oral history and stories. And uh, the theater still exists. It's in St. Paul, Minnesota, and it's called the History Theater. And so, so much of what you're saying today and, and the folks on the phone, I can really relate to from the standpoint of uh, being able to tell the dif- difficult stories, um, the importance of excellent facilitators after um, a production based on stories to draw the community together in a conversation, um, your um, questioner that asked about refugee plays. Um, we did several of those, and interestingly enough, you also had the, the sense of metaphor of story. So if um, uh, something based on oral histories and uh, of uh, immigrants from a different community could then be transposed to, oh, well, that's how people are now feeling about our community. Um, labor strikes, all of this. Um, uh, it's a good way, um, actually, you know, with the lens of theater to, uh, and metaphor of theater to maybe take the story to another place where people can, um, draw back and, and, uh, discuss it. Um, and then for your questioner about appreciative inquiry, I've worked with it in organizations, um, very successfully. And I've also um, seen it work in, uh, in corporations. Um, I think the, the sense of, of, of positive uh, work that comes from appreciative inquiry can be a real relief to people. So my comments is a very interesting and rich discussion. Fantastic. Thank you. Barbara, uh, Betsy, did you want to add, add to that? No, I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, the power of theater, too. And there's some wonderful resources on the website for Animating Democracy, a uh, program of Americans uh, for the Arts, where they're using um, arts in civic engagement and, and wonderful theater examples where, you know, the ending changes uh, and you get to somewhat see the possible different endings of the play or discussions that happen or the audience get involved in the plays or different audiences go to different neighborhoods for viewing plays. So there's there's wonderful examples. So just thank you for bringing up that that power of live theater. So we've got a great and meaty challenge here from Judy Patrick in Westminster. Judy, do you want to jump on the line? And it sounds like you could do with some advice or some um, some discussion around this project that, that you're proposing for the historic hotel conversion. Do you want to talk a little about that? Yeah, the, the uh, city itself back in the late 1800s got together in, in one week. At that time, they raised $20,000 to build a hotel because they were trying to attract business and tourism to a, a very small town in the south middle part of Colorado. And these days it just does not work as a hotel and it has gone into foreclosure and been vacant. So our organization is looking, we have it under contract, we want to buy it and have um, 
retail on the first floor and turn the upper floors into affordable housing. And we really sense when we talk to the city and to some of the key people in town that they are experiencing a huge sense of loss and great concern about losing this marvelous building that even in one area has a stained glass ceiling. And it, it we love this building. And I want to make sure that we can find a way to honor the history of the building. And my initial thought has been to take one of the retail spaces, a very small space, but turn it into a little mini museum where we could have, you know, uh, photographs, somewhere a history of the hotel, the antiques, because the original cash register, a lot of the original furnishings are still in this building, and where we can have some of that. And I really liked your idea about like an oral uh, storytelling type of piece where people could maybe sit down and with the earphones listen to people talk about their stories about the hotel or maybe put them up in some sort of booklet that people could read. Uh, so it Maybe. sounds like you need some good suggestions from, from Barbara and Betsy. I want. I want some suggestions. How do we retain the story of this hotel and honor the people of the town? I, I think your idea of asking the, the people of the town for their stories and incorporating those stories into this building, one... In, in addition to the ideas you are floating out there and, and, and could be part of this mini-museum that you're thinking about, there's been some wonderful work in sort of locative, using locative media um, to do storytelling. We haven't talked about technology at all, and I know that there's some questions on the, on the Google Doc about that, but there's some wonderful projects. There's one, um, probably the first one, the seminal project called the Murmur, Murmur Project that started in Toronto, where you just through the use of cell phones, people can dial in and listen to a story about a place. So you could be the entire building. Somebody might have a story about that 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 glass ceiling. Somebody might have a story about room three upstairs. Somebody might have a story about the front door, about getting married and walking up that 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 the steps. Somebody might have something about their father delivering ducks to be served you know, at the dinner that, that night at round back. Um, there could be so many stories, but you can actually have them located by having little, you know, you know you've seen these now where, you know, you can have a little sign any, at a particular spot in a location and then the telephone number where you can dial in to hear that story or you can dial in to tell a story and that story will be received and captured and added to this huge memory bank. So there's some really pretty easy, lovely ways. And then you can do story tours. You know, some of the people who are most committed and, and involved in, in, in that, that building, who, who are most passionate about it, you can invite them to be volunteers and to give story tours of this building as much as, you, as, as, much as would be possible. In addition to that one small space, that would be the museum and, and, and have a lot of, you know, visual um, memories. You can invite people, you know, do, do people have postcards of this, of this um, hotel? You know, they used to print those. You know, put a call out. Send us, send us your postcards. You know, we'll photograph them. We'll have a big memory wall. We'll, all kinds of ways that people can add and make this such an exciting location in the town, not only celebrating the past, but, but, but really, wow, this is an example of how we can be together in this town now by participating in this project together. That's Thank you. Fantastic. So I am, I'm going to start calling on a few people in this list to share some of the stories that they, um, they wrote in here as homework. Um, and I think we have time for, for one or two before we, um, before we start talking about what we're going to be doing next with these conference calls. So just at random, I'm going to select Sabine. Are you still on the line? Do you want to talk about the work you've been doing with Transition Towns? 
And you've got to get in quick because I'm going to keep moving down the list. Uh, Nakifa from Patterson, New Jersey. You still with us? How about Jessica Pottish from Louisville, Kentucky? Hi. I can <laughs> I can share. Um, do you just want to hear about Louisville and or our community in Louisville? What a, why don't you tell us a little bit about the storytelling work that you've been doing there? So, um, so far it's been on a really small scale. Um, like, I've done a digital storytelling project, um, which has been really powerful for us as an organization and us as a network. Um, and we're really trying to figure out how do we capture, because we, we're like a big like network of a lot of people in the urban neighborhood. So how do we use storytelling to build relationships? We're not really sure. Um, we also do um, graphic interviews where we have someone sit in a room and we videotape them. And while they're being videotaped, we um, like record the answers to these questions. Um, that we're asking them, and I, off the top of my head, don't know what those questions are. Um, but for us, it's a lot of, like, we know there are people to tell the story. We just don't know where, um, exactly what to do with the stories, I think, is more um, our um, issue. So, um, and how do we just push it onto a bigger scale? Um, so that's where we like go. a great a great starting point to maybe talk a little bit more about the technology that's available. Yeah for these kind of stories. Um, Barbara, do you want to jump into that? Well, sure. There's um, there's a lot of ways on online that you can capture and collect and then disseminate stories. You know, you can do you know, certainly a simple website um, that you there um, that you can uh, place your stories on by putting them, if you have digital stories, like YouTube. But there's, there's some other interesting things that you can do with timelines. Um, you can create a timeline of the stories and hang the stories from these timelines. They can be audio, they can be visual, they can be written, they can be any kind of media at all. Um, and then they're by themes. You can you can cluster them online in in very interesting ways. There's also a lot that to be said for um, not just collecting online, but then how do you take all of these pieces, if you, you are using a lot of technology, how do you get these stories to people who don't have a lot of technology? Because our communities are incredibly diverse. We've got people who will really respond to sort of high-tech stories, but then we have people who are, are kind of scared of, of, of even engaging with those because they're not quite sure how to do that. Well, we have community television is a great way to get people either on there to, to, to um, be interviewed and people watch it or to capture those digital stories and show them. We had an example in Victor, Idaho, where there's a great old theater in the town, and they showed story, They showed some digital stories, and they got some people on the stage to tell digital stories, not tell digital stories, tell stories, all on the same night. So the lowest tech was the highest tech. So not only collecting and gathering them online in an archive and a repository where people have access to them, though that's important, but also finding ways to put them inside the community. In the old days, it would be we put them in the, or, in the you know, history museums or our libraries on shelves. Well, yes, they should be there, but on the kinds of screens people can interact with or um, bring them to an evening where you can show the entire town. Um, so, and, and we'll, we'll I'll post some resources. Um, and then in the next call, we'll really be getting into some of the nitty-gritty, I think, with those kinds of um, the details of specific sites and, and kind of, and actual technologies that people can use. Um. Fantastic. So speaking of the next call, um, as as Barbara just mentioned, we are planning to change things up a little bit. And so I'm going to hand over now to Rebecca from the Orton Foundation to give us a little detail and background on what's happening next. Oh, hey, everybody. First of all, thank you so much to everyone for joining us. The interest and support from everyone is just absolutely amazing for this call, and we are so excited to hear from hundreds of people out there who are interested in doing storytelling work in their communities, um, which was actually great validation because this year we wanted to change up this series a little bit to help support people who actually are looking to do this work on the ground. We had a wonderful time in 2011 having deep conversations about a lot of issues, 
but found that the calls themselves were not quite enough to help people take that next leap into really making it happen on the ground. So we're going to do a little experiment. The first one will be on this storytelling call. We'd like to help connect some of you who actually do want to do storytelling projects with each other and with mentors who can continue helping you figure out how to do a project, how to put it together, what tools and resources to use, and how to sort through some of the challenges you'll face. So let me repeat, this is an experiment. We don't know exactly how it's going to go, but we would love to set up maybe one, maybe more calls in the coming weeks to connect smaller groups of you. I'm going to put a link in the top of the Google Doc in just a moment with a really quick poll. It's one question just asking how many of you out there would be interested in such a group. We can't tell you whether it would be just one call or something ongoing. That's really up to you. If we find that there's a group that wants to stay in touch and keep supporting each other, we'll do as much as we can to help make that happen. So I'll stop there. You can also always email me if you have other ideas and comments. My email address is at the top of the document again, rstone at orton.org. I will put that poll link in, so please take a quick second and respond to that if this sounds like something you're interested in or not. Just let us know. And watch for other topics as well. We're going to be trying this with a few other project ideas throughout the spring. So I'll turn it back to Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, and so... With that, I just, I'd like to hand over again to Barbara and Betsy just to give us a couple of closing remarks. Um, if there is one thing that people could do uh, when they leave this call today and go back into communities, if there's one thing that they could do to start a storytelling project or continue or improve or just get people telling more stories, what would it be? All right. Betsy, can I start with you? Sure. Or um, just one, huh? <laughs> okay. Um, well, I would say, of course, always, you know, begin with your story. That's really important to start, and it's good practice, and it gets you comfortable with that. Um, but really, the point I want to make, and I think it cuts across a lot of what we've been talking about, is all of, all of the work we're doing in community at the foundation um, begins with a community network analysis, right? So it's looking at what are all the groups in the community. And so for a storytelling project, I think it's important that, and there's so much passion and excitement from people ready to dive in, but if you really want to get a broad diversity of stories and points of view, it's really worth taking the time and, you know, mapping or thinking about who are all of those groups within your community, and then how do you reach out to include them in your story project? And I think it's a good place to start as you're thinking about designing your project. Well, I'll take another tack on that and say one way to think, to just try out storytelling is gather a group together that is interested in stories in your community. It may be that you don't know exactly what you want to do with stories. You may already have your theme, your goal, your 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 mission, but you might just be interested in your, you just love your community and you think storytelling is going to help them. So gather this group together and practice some of the techniques that the Orton Family Foundation has on their website or on my website or all these different um places that have a lot of storytelling and have a story circle and share your story. See what that feels like in that room. Do some story interviews. See how that feels. Write your story down. On what does that feel like? So that you just get your own feet wet. So you and Because we talk about story a lot, but we don't know what it is until we do it. So just, you know, gather a group of six, eight people. Eight, eight's a lovely number to do some storytelling with because it's enough to get some really interesting, varied discussion going on around those stories, but it's, all, it's not too many that you're taking too much time. So I'd say just start really small, try it out, and then do what Betsy said. <laughs> <laughs> so some really great points to finish on then. Start small and then start with your own story and map your ecosystem so that you know the context that you're working in. Um, with that, I'm going to say thank you so much to Barbara and Betsy uh, for joining us today. And to everyone on the line, thanks so much for being part of this. Please do go and, and click on that quick poll link up the top of the Google Doc so that we can get in touch with you again and let us know if you would like to participate in a follow-up call. 
to really kind of dig into some of the details of these issues and get some, some really great tangible skills and tools that you can use to start implementing in your own community. So with that, thank you very much, everyone, and uh, that's a wrap. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much, Jim. Auto.